on in and have a seat. Uh, pastor has gone to try to find a, uh, I think maybe a blackboard or a whiteboard or something. So he said, we'll go ahead and, and open, and then we'll maybe have some question and answer time here, because I know very difficult for people to get here at this hour of the day due to a work day and traffic and all of those things. We appreciate the fact that you are here, and uh, that means a lot. So let's stand together, and we're just going to go to the Lord in prayer because this subject is certainly a very spiritual one. You may not think so. You may think it's the exact opposite of that. But uh, as we mentioned last night, uh, money is a test, and uh, how you handle what God puts into your hand really determines a kind of walk that you have with the Lord. So we're going to pray together here tonight and just invite the presence of God into this place and uh, allow the Spirit of the Lord to speak to our hearts and, and help us in, in this area that we can be a help to others. God doesn't just give so that you can get. God gives to you so that you can give. Amen. And when you learn that lesson, you will find out it's a powerful lesson. And you cannot outgive God. Amen. God also gives you a brain. And, uh, and in that brain, he allows you to follow some established principles in the word of the Lord and uh, cause you to be uh, successful in uh, these matters. So let's pray together tonight. Would you just call upon the name of the Lord? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ to examine something that is so very important and vital in every one of our lives. We are grateful, Lord, for the people of God. Thank you for every born-again child of the Lord that has a sincere desire to please you, Lord, to walk in your ways. We live in the midst of a world that is crying out to this generation that wants to bid for their soul as well as bid for their finances. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you will help us, O God, to do that which is right, Lord, in your sight. I pray, Lord, for the power of your Spirit. I pray for the touch of God today. Pray, Lord God, that you will help this church, Lord, to accomplish what you would have it to do through the lives, Lord, of every believer in this assembly, both those that are here tonight, those that call this church their home, and those that will be coming in, Lord, because of revival and being born again of the water and of the Spirit. I pray, God, that you will guide us now. Thank you, Lord, for your wonderful love and goodness. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Well, God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, just before we begin, uh, do we have any any questions that you'd like to bring to us? Uh, don't be afraid to ask a question. Well, you found one. Where did you find one? Some uh, garage sale out there? <laughs> All right. Just uh, real quickly, maybe any uh, question, maybe, or comment on what we talked about last night. Anybody? Amen. Don't be shy. Yes. 99.5. And, yes. Uh, and the, 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 the one preacher was uh, talking about uh, the same thing you were talking about, and he quoted that scripture where he says, the borrower is servant of the Exactly. And he was just talking about you have to put it into action. And he just kept on saying action. Um, and it just, for me, confirmed what you know, we're going through here. And uh, I was like, God is trying to come to me. Yes. All right. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. 
Yes. This lady right here. You heard that today? Yeah. Oh, my. Where are you folks listening? Saved, uh, give God 10%, save 10%. Yeah. That should be your goal. That's exactly right. Because if you uh, make X amount a year, we'll say 50000 and you spend 50000 you've made nothing. Really. And uh, you need to understand that. So uh, that's a good comment. Anyone else? Amen. All right. Just any, yes, Brother Steele here. What's that? What did you talk about last night? What did we talk about last night? Well, we covered a lot of ground, and uh, if he gets that set up there, we might do a little bit of a review uh, real quickly because um, we covered, were you not in the session? Okay. Um, Yes. Thank you. Is it off the total, or is it off the remainder of the um, the ten? Is it off what you've already given God? Right. Uh, a good question. Um, it would be wonderful if you could you say you made five hundred dollars a week and you gave God fifty and uh, or tithe, and then were able to put away ten percent, another fifty dollars. That would be wonderful. Sometimes that can't be done. Um, there's an old adage, uh, when you should you start this? Well, you should start it when you're 18 years old. What's the second best time? Today. Okay? So if you can't do 10%, you know, uh, as I said last night, if you could do 5 even 4 and then try to build up to 5%, 6%, you know. But if you could force yourself to put 10%, that would be a wonderful thing. Are you taking 10% off the 500, 10% off for God, and then 10% for yourself? Or are you taking the 10% yourself after you give God? No, I would say you could do it before, or if you can't, do it after. As much as you can. You follow me? Yes. Yes. Ideally, same as what you give to God. And then you give to yourself. And then, of course, we have offerings. We understand that. But uh, uh, that would be the, the ideal. Okay, good question. Back in the. Uh, hi, thank you. Uh, the ten percent uh, is that uh, based on Ross uh, income or after all taxes and other deductions? Well, I'm just going to tell you, I've always paid ties on the gross income. I just have. Uh, I just feel uh, strongly in my heart that uh, God will take care. Of us, you know, some say you pay it on the tithe, you pay it on the net, uh, but I've always paid it on the gross, uh, the tithe, and uh, so if you could do the ten percent on that, that would be fine. Or you could do the ten percent on the net. Put it this way: whatever you do, it's better than doing nothing, as far as paying yourself. But that, as I said last night, is probably the most powerful uh, principle 
uh, to help a person's finances. It's not easy at first, but once you get this thing working, paying yourself 10%, you will be amazed at what will happen, and you won't be servant to the lender and a slave. That's really what it's saying, a slave to, uh, you know, the credit union, to the uh, credit card companies, to Ford Motor Company, whatever. Good. Yes. I know an international student that wanted me to ask this question. Um, she can't work in America, so all the money that she gets goes towards um, school and rent. So how is she is she supposed to tie? Uh, yeah, now that's a different question or, you know, a different scenario, and I understand because we have some uh, students even in our Bible schools here in the U.S., uh, and I'm on the board of one. And uh, they come here from uh, other countries, uh, Canada, uh, Europe, Africa, and uh, and they can't pay them in cash, but they can take it off of their tuition and they can uh, take it out of their food money or whatever. You know, they get certain benefits. So that's a very difficult thing. But any cash money that they get uh, in any way, that's what they would tie them. That's, that's about all they can do once they get out of school and start working. And I, let me say this, uh, a student, it is difficult to do this, but let me, let me say this. I was teaching this one day at our Bible school, oh, about three or four years ago, and a lady walked by, and she heard me talking about paying the 10% or paying yourself first. And she was not young. She was there as a married student, probably 40. And uh, she hadn't even been in the class. She came into it next year, but she walked by, and she heard that. She went home and told her husband. She said, this is what I heard today. And he thought, hmm, I don't know. But she said, I started it. We started it after I told him that, and it was amazing what happened. It was absolutely amazing. She said, I didn't think we could do it. He didn't think we could do it, but we started it, and after a year, we had a certain amount of money that we wouldn't have had otherwise in the bank. And so, you know, whatever you are able to do, but my goal would be 10%. Let me tell you this, and this is getting ahead. Uh, if you want to have financial, quote, unquote, security, especially when you, you retire, then pay yourself 10%, and you'll never have to worry about having enough money when you retire. Because if you try to live on Social Security today, you won't be living very grand. And he said, if you want to be totally financially independent by the time you're 40 years of age and don't need a check from anybody, and I wish somebody told me this, he said, pay 10% to God, 10% to yourself. And he said, take 10% and invest it in something. And he, used the, he, he said, if you're young, buy a bicycle and then buy another one and rent the other one out. You know, figure out a way, you know. Eventually, you'll get to where you'll be buying rent homes or whatever. But, but he said, if you want to be 40 years of age and don't need a check from anybody, if you were 18 years of age and took that, that, that third 10%, you know what that means? You have to live on less. And that's the trick we don't want to do because this consumer society says, you know, I want to have as much as I can, okay? So thank you for the question, and, and I appreciate that because as you're a student, sometimes you're barely just trying to make it. So we understand that. But once you get making a, a salary, a wage, then you fall into the categories of the things that we're talking about. But I will cover tonight 
that you should never be in a situation where you don't have anything in the bank because that's where you get in big trouble. All right? Say, for example, you were paying your child's tuition yes. for college. Yes. Um, would the, that, that child there are pay several, uh, ties on that? There are several. Uh, yeah, I think you should, really. I do. Uh, there are several programs where you can put money away, kind of like an IRA or 401K uh, for your child's education. But, of course, if you want to pay the tithe on it when it comes out, then, you know, that would be your decision. Well, does the parent? I under, I know exactly what you're saying. Like double taxation. Double taxation, and I don't believe that that is 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 the way it should be either. Uh, but see, once that uh, under some plans, once that money comes out, it belongs to the child technically, and so then you wouldn't have any control over. You know, uh, Universal Gift to Minors Act (UGMA) is one of them. And that, of course, uh, actually goes into the hands of the child. And so they actually have control uh, over it. So he wouldn't maybe pay ties on it. So it would be better probably to do that at the outset, you know, the front end. But I'll tell you what, when you've got these little ones, now's the time to start your college fund. I wish I had known that. would have made it a lot easier for these sons of mine. But uh, that's a very good question. Okay? All right. Everybody ready? Let's take a moment. Uh, we're going to do a quick review here uh, of what we uh, talked about yesterday. Number one cause of uh, divorce, financial problems, male suicide, financial problems. In 1929, look at this, 2% of houses had mortgages. In 1962, 2% didn't. We've become a borrowing uh, nation. In 1980, consumer debt was $1.3 trillion. This figure is old. It's close to $4 trillion. That's $4 thousand billion dollars in consumer debt most of it for cars and uh mastercard and american express so that you could buy uh clothing and shoes and and lawnmowers and whatever we well, don't need lawnmowers here uh or you don't need big ones but uh anyway uh mortgage debt has increased 300 percent since 1975 all right 70 percent of americans literally live from paycheck to paycheck you know what that means? Little or no reserve funds. If they don't get a check for two weeks, they're in big stress. They can't make their house payment. They can't uh, make the car payment. And that's a dangerous, vulnerable place to live in. How many understand about per, from paycheck to paycheck? Okay, you say, yeah, I know all about it. I'm living there. But, uh, all right, bankruptcies increased 150% in 15 years. 94% are non-business or personal. Seventy percent are Chapter 7 total bankruptcy, and uh, I did this for us. West Tennessee leads the nation in per capita bankruptcies, and it did. You know why? Because they put a place called Tunica uh, just outside of Memphis in Mississippi. It was gambling casinos, and I know all kinds of people that, got, that lost their homes and businesses over gambling. Now, you know this. Number eight, people in the 1930s and 40s lived under their means. It was cash only. If they did not have the cash, they did not buy. You hear me? They just absolutely did not. It's hard for you to get in trouble when everything you got, you own. Okay? It may not be much, but at least it's yours. 
Now, in the 1950s, the average house loan was 13500 and you know what it is today. Credit card debt. This is an old figure. I got one, uh, and I should have had this updated because I had it on PowerPoint. $8,700 is the average per household of credit card debt. Of course, some are a lot more and some are less. But that shows how much credit card has become a time, uh, a part of our society. Now, the U.S. Census Bureau said the leading cause of financial failure is written down in one word, and that is this, procrastination, putting things off, okay? You intend to set some money aside. You intend to do certain things. Now, at age 65 or older, 51.9, 52% earn under $15,000 a year. They retire on that. And 26% earn 15 to 24,000 or 25,000. 16% 25,000 to 50,000. And only 6.2% earn over 50,000 a year. Remember what I said last night? 62% have less than $1,500 in the bank after a lifetime of work. They literally can only lay their hands on about $1,500 in a bank account uh, other than what they put away. Now, the biblical principles of money, we went through this real quick. God owns it all, Matthew 25:14. Owner has rights. Steward has responsibilities. You have a responsibility to take care of what God's put in your hand. Number two, we're in a growth process. That means God's looking at us. What are we doing with what we got? Money is not only a tool to get what you want. But it's also a test. One had five talents, he got five more. One had two, he got two more. One had what he had, and he didn't handle it right. He put it and buried it in the ground. The amount is not important. If you're messing up with 50000 a year, what would you do with 150000 You'd make a bigger mess. Okay? Because you've got to follow certain guidelines. If you're uh, putting 10% away when you're making 50000 or 40000 and then you're putting 10% away when you're making 150000 which I've never got anywhere close near, then you uh, are still going to be safe to a certain extent. So the amount is not important. You've got to learn the principles to do with what you have so that you'll make the proper decisions. So God never condemns wealth or commends poverty. It's just simply how you handle what you've got. Faith, as your brother said tonight, requires action. What are you going to do? See, you're in this seminar, and we're talking, and we're looking at this very important subject. But uh, we can do two things. Go out and say, I'm going to make some changes in the way I handle my finances, or I'm going to keep doing the same thing and hope it all works out. It won't. Uh, you're going to have to make some changes. So the wicked slave knew what to do, but he did nothing. He said, I went and hid it in the ground. Okay? Now, 16 out of 38 of Jesus' parables dealt with money. More is said in the New Testament about money than heaven and hell combined. Five, more t- five times more is said about money than prayer. That doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. We know that. But yet, whatever Jesus talked about, we need to take and uh, look at very, very seriously. 500-plus verses on both prayer and faith. But over, two, and I mentioned last night, 2,350 biblical verses dealing with money and possessions. So... Uh, we need to pause and look at these very vital subjects. Now, money is active. We didn't look at this last night, but money is active. That means that it is affected by certain things. You know, when I went to Bible school, 
you could buy a brand new car for $2,500. Brand new. New Ford, new Chev, new, well, you didn't have Toyotas and Hondas then. But uh, what if I had taken $2,500 and buried it in the ground somewhere and said, in 30 years, I'm going to dig this up and I'm going to buy me a new Ford or Chev? Oh, wait a minute. Now it's 25000 or whatever. What has happened? Money has been affected by inflation, certainly affected by interest rates and, uh, and time, cash flow, all these things. You see, so money is, 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 is moving. It's, it's active. So you've got to know how to handle it. And who's going to be responsible for that? Your neighbor? No, you. And uh, nobody can look out for what you have and what's been put into your hand but you. Okay, as we mentioned last night, money is amoral. That doesn't mean it's moral or immoral, but it's a love of money, okay? And so poor doesn't mean you're good. Rich doesn't mean you're bad. Look at this bottom one. Henry David Thoreau made this very astute observation. How many of you have ever made any money in your life? You worked at a job somewhere, and they paid you money. Put up your hand. Okay. Pretty well everybody, right? Good. That means you got enough brains to go out and make money. So just uh, pat yourself on the back. Good. You've been able to go out and make money. But here's what David Thoreau said, Henry David Thoreau. Almost any man knows how to earn money. And we've proved that by everybody here tonight. But not one in a million knows how to what? Spend it. You see, that's the tricky part. Man, I can remember guys coming coming in with huge checks sometimes, making we thought it were huge. Uh, you know, back in the I remember in one situation back in the seventies and they come in with these big checks. They'd worked at John Deere Company. We all were working for two hundred a week back then and they were bringing in checks of eight and nine hundred dollars a month. And we thought there wasn't that much money in the world. But you know what? Some of those guys spent eight and $900 a week. And if you saw them today, they'd still be about the same place. See, it's not hard to earn money in this society. You may not be making millions, but you can earn it. But if you don't make millions, you better be very sure how to spend it. And somebody said amen. Okay. And that's the trick, learning how to take the resources and properly place them in certain areas. And uh, that's exactly what we're trying to do in uh, this particular seminar. All right? Yes. That's uh, a very astute observation. In fact, I've, I've got that down here on some notes. How many of you have graduated from high school and used your algebra or your plane geometry since then? And other stuff that you learned? Not one time. Well, now maybe if you went on to engineering or whatever, but, man, they, they stuffed our heads full of all of those theorems and axioms and, and uh, you know, the mathematics and uh 
trigonomic, uh, what were all those functions that we learned? I can't even remember them all now. But guess what? We don't use them. But we've got high school students that don't even know how to balance a checkbook, don't understand about finances, don't understand about spending money. And uh, he's absolutely right that our school should be teaching this in, say, the seventh grade. Can you imagine if a seventh grader learned save at least 10% of everything you make? I don't care if they've got a paper route or when they flip hamburgers at McDonald's. It shocks me to think of what would have happened to me, brother, uh, brother today, if I had kept 10% of everything I made since I was 15 years old. But they don't teach this. And as as uh, Brown said, we're, the parents don't even know it. So, not the Japanese, 26.8%. And watch China, because they're coming on big. They say the 19th century was the century for the British Empire, the 20th century for the United States of America, 21st century China. And I'll guarantee you, they know how to save. Hey, most of us, you know, my grandparents came from, from Europe from England on one side and from Russia on the other. And uh, I'll guarantee you one thing, credit card would never have been in their vocabulary. And though my grandfather was a butcher, so he didn't make a lot of money in butchering, but I'll guarantee you one thing, they never had to borrow money from anybody. And my grandmother, she kind of took care of the finances in some way, but oh boy, she knew how to handle it. And... uh, because they, they just, you know, you spent, this is a unique idea, spending less than you make. Did you hear me? Now, if you make $150,000, you got more options. If you make $25,000, you got less options. But whatever, you've got to spend less than you make. That's why this 10% business that I told you about creates a beautiful cushion and a buffer. Now, I'm just reviewing real quickly here. And these are the scriptures that say the wicked borroweth and, and uh, payeth not again. In other words, you borrow money and then you default on it. The rich ruleth over the poor, put you in a slave relationship when you uh, owe uh, MasterCard and Visa and uh, GMAC and whoever. And uh, Deuteronomy 20, I'm not going to read all these, owe no man anything. Deuteronomy 15:6. lend unto many nations, thou shalt not borrow. And what were all these scriptures saying? These scriptures were saying, they never said borrowing is a sin, but the Bible never says this is a wonderful thing, go out and do it. It sure gave us some red flags of warning, okay? When thou, I look at Ecclesiastes 5, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. Remember what I said last night? You say, well, I'm going to borrow this money to buy this car, and I'm going to pay uh, $385 a month for five years, and I'm going to pay it. Are you? Do you have a guarantee you're going to have a job during those five years? Do you have a guarantee you're going to have health? No, you don't. But when you pay cash for a car, and it may be an old rust bucket, one thing, they can't come and take it away from you. 
And you're going to pay for that car one way or the other, but when you borrow the money or a lot of money on it, you're going to pay more, much more interest. Why not turn that around? I'll show you that a little bit. All right? Okay. And the same thing here, uh, some more scriptures. Uh, Proverbs 1, 17, 18, the bottom, when a bird sees a trap being set, it stays away. But not these men. They trap themselves. They lay a booby trap for their own lies. That's what the Living Bible said. Hey, if you know credit cards could be a trap, what do you want to go there for? You've got to be very careful, okay? And uh, so these are the scriptures that we talked about uh, last night. All right? Give us the next one there because we deal with the subject uh, uh, that I talk about, the powerful principle, pay God first. 10%. If if every one of you could get this in your head, and that's all you could remember, wow, you would be a blessed person to have a blessed family. Pay, your, pay God first, pay yourself second. You say, why should I pay myself? Well, I don't want you to work for nothing. I want you to have something and want you to have a cushion. And then number three, that means... Pay bills, living expenses. I'll never forget what uh, uh, an old preacher told his son, and it was brother, old brother Rudder told his son, brother Charles, and uh, he was a pastor that lived in early Pentecost, and uh, he never made much money. Believe me, he didn't make much money, but uh, they lived, and he said, son, never forget, give God 10% and give yourself 10% and live on the other 80. So here's what determines how you're going to live. On the 80%. So you will adjust your living and lifestyle, the kind of house you live in, the kind of car you drive, the kind of clothes you wear, the kind of food you eat, by the 80%. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. And that's going to involve some adjustment at first. Everybody say at first. But once you get this working and functioning, it will become second nature. And when your income increases... Number three will increase because you'll have 80% of whatever it is your income is. And that's what determines your lifestyle and the kind of things you're going to uh, be doing with your money. And you're going to keep one and two always the same. All right. Let's go on to the next one. Okay. i tell you what. Did we get uh, those? I don't know if we had. Just We'll, we'll go come back to it. We did some scriptures on, on saving money. How many know what the rule of 72 is or did know? Okay, this is a very basic financial principle, and a lot of people don't know it. Take the slide away. How many can explain rule of 72? Any idea? Now, people that have money know this. And again, I'm not trying to make you rich. That's not the purpose here. But they understand how this works. Okay, listen carefully. The rule of 72 is this. Take the percentage of interest that you're earning your money on. Let's say you got your money at the bank, and it's earning 6%, which is pretty good right now. But say it was 6%. You divide that figure into 72. What would that number be? Divide 6 into 72. Pardon? 12. You know what that means, sister? That means it would take 12 years for your money to double. So if you had $10,000 sitting in an account or somewhere, and it was earning 6%, it would double 
in 12 years. Now, suppose that money was earning 8%. You could get it into something where it was earning 8%. What is the rule of 72? You divide 8 into 72. And what is that number? Nine. That means you're not, your money would double in nine years. Not 12, but nine. Now, what if you could get 12%, which would not be easy, but uh, let's say you had it somewhere where it was making 12%. How long would it take for your money to double? Six years. Let me tell you something. Something amazing begins to happen when this uh, beautiful <laughs> progression takes place and people that have money know how it works, okay? But if you don't have anything working for you, forget the rule of 72. But if you've got some money starting to work for you, then it's going to begin to snowball. You remember the fellow I talked to last night, Brother Vic? He said it took a while for the little ball to grow, but every year it was growing, and then I was adding more. You see, I told you about the old preacher that came to live in our town, and he said, I don't know anybody in Nickel. You remember what I said? And then he said, but I don't, but, but he didn't say, but I, I realized later he didn't have a nickel. So he'd spend his whole life, and I don't even think he had $1,500. And at that point, I determined somehow that wasn't going to happen to me. He didn't own a house. He didn't have any money. He had a car that was kind of worn out, and that was it. And he was 79 years of age. And so at that point, I started putting a little bit aside. And I saved hard back in those days until uh, I finally got $500 together. That was big stuff. Took it down. I had it in a little savings account, took it down to the bank, and then put it in a CD. I hardly knew what a CD was, and that's not what you play in your car. It's called a certificate of deposit because it earned more. And then I went to saving and putting some more in until I got another 500 and I put it on top of that other CD, you know, and, and I started. And I also went out and bought a house. You say, how would you do that? By saving. I had the crazy idea. I couldn't own a house. I wasn't rich enough. I was waiting for somebody to come on along and write a check. But I started saving. And then finally, I got a house, bought a little house, little wee house, didn't even live in it, and uh, fixed it up and painted it up and made a little money on that one, and it went to another one. And uh, because I decided I didn't want to retire whenever I retire or my wife not have anything. You hear me? And so it's a process. you got to get it in your mind. Amen. And, and still give to God and uh, missions and all those beautiful things. So put that up there again so they understand. Okay? What is the rule of 72? The amount of time it takes for your money to double according to the interest rate. In other words, look if you got 18%, which I don't know what you'd have to do to get that. You'd have to be investing in property or whatever, which is not hard to do here in Southern California. Somebody told me that uh, uh, California real estate is gold. I don't know, but it jumps around, doesn't it? Uh, but anyway, it would it would actually double in four years. Can you imagine that? Double in four years if you could earn that. So here's what people 
that have a little bit and, 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 and endeavor to do, they try to figure out a way that they can get their money going from 4% to percent or to, from 6 or from 8 and they, they are very uh, astute in trying to make those kinds of things happen. So does everybody know what the rule of 72 is? Now let me throw another one at you, see if you got this one. Does anybody know what the rule of 78 is? Brother Guzman, you said something. Do you know what it is? You know what it is? No. Tell us. The rule of 78 is simply prepayment penalties that a lot of people get involved in, and they don't understand that, for example, you go and you buy a couch and you buy a living room set, and and, uh, this costs $4,000, and... uh, they said, we'll finance it for you. In fact, we'll give you three months free interest. Oh, wonderful. And then you pay it off in two years or three years, whatever it is. The rule of 78 in the contract, if you don't ask about it and find out, the rule is that we'll charge you 21 or 24% for this furniture, a bunch of sticks and a little bit of material, and you will pay for that very dearly. But if you try to pay it off early, we'll stick you with a prepayment penalty because you're trying to get rid of this heavy interest. And a lot of people don't ask about that. That's called the Rule of 78. You say, why is it called that? I have no idea. But that's what it is. So when you you say, well, I'm going to buy this furniture, and I'm only going to pay on it two months, and then I'm going to pay it off when I get my income tax check, you could be in trouble. You hear me? Because they're going to stick you for that interest, which could be hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Remember last night I said nobody's going to go down uh, Interstate 57 or 210 and throw $100 bills out the window. They'd lock you up say, this guy's a nut. Okay? But you're doing that sometimes when you carry credit card balances of $8,700, and some of those cards are at anywhere from 10 to 24%, uh, depending on what. And they can jack that rate around. It's unbelievable. They'll do it without you even knowing it. Because they're in the business of making money. And how do you think they're making such vast sums of money? Because they're charging people 18% on a credit card. And they're giving you, aren't they wonderful, 3% in your passbook savings. So there's quite a difference between 3% and 18%. So if you ever wonder how they can build these skyscrapers, that's how. Okay? All right. So that's rule of 72. You need, you say, well, what's, why is, well, let me give you an illustration here. Here's why, why it's important to understand about this. Okay? Suppose you made a, an investment of $1,000. When you were 25 years of age and you put it in the bank or or some financial place, if it was earning 6%, you see that down here? If it was earning 6%, at the end of 40 years, that would be worth the astronomical sum of $10,000 if it was earning 6%. And you never added to it again. You'd have 10000 After 40 years, that's not bad. But if you were earning 12%, you'd say, well, 12%, it'd be double. It'd be $20,000. Oh, no. When you get into this compounding, that $1,000 now after 40 years is worth 
$93,000. Did you see what just happened there? Now, if you could earn 18% on it, which, of course, would not be an easy thing to do, but people do it by investing. If you kept that $1,000 working for 40 years, do you see what that money would be worth? $750,000. So your friendly Bank of America says we'll give you 4 or 6% for your money and we'll keep it for 40 years and we'll give you back $10,285. Aren't we great? But we're going to take your money that you've got in the bank and we're going to move it over to our credit card division and we're going to earn 18% on it and we're going to make $750,000 on it. Of course, we've got to pay you the 10000 so we've only made $740,000 on it. Hello? So why don't you learn about the rule of 72 and understand how things can be a little bit different? Okay? Now, look at this one. Can everybody see this? This is interesting, okay? Because some of you are, most of you are young here, and you need to get started on this. Look at, I've got two guys up there. One is named Ben, and the other guy's name is what? Arthur. Okay, Ben's 22 years of age, and he decides that he's going to put $1,000 in the bank uh, when he's 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, and 28, okay? How many dollars has he invested? $8,000. 1000 a year for eight years. And he's earning 10%, and he decides, I'm quitting. I'm not putting any more money in the bank. But I'm going to keep it there. Now, Arthur, his brother, see, Arthur's his brother. He decides, man, Ben's been putting $1,000 a, a, a year away here for, for eight years. I better do something. And so he starts. See, Ben just quit. He said, I'm only putting 8000 in, and I'm going to quit. But Arthur starts, and for how many years? From the time he's 30 till he's 65, for 35 years, he puts 1000 a year away. So he's invested 35000 But he didn't get it started as early as Ben did. And look what happened. If Ben doesn't touch it after eight years and just keeps it in there, it will grow to $388,865 from $8,000 at 10%. But Arthur, he starts later. But, see, money has to have time is the best thing. He starts when he's 30 and goes till he's 65. And it grows only to $329,000, even though he's put 35000 in, and he never caught up. So some of you young folks, now's the time. And some of you older folks that wish you'd done it earlier and say, well, I'm just forget it. It's not going to happen. It's still the right time. Amen. Okay? Isn't that interesting? You see, so... Uh, you say, how am I going to get the money to do that? Well, here's some other examples, okay? <laughs> if you had uh, five, what is that number there? Is that 5%? I can't quite see it there. Pull it over just a hair. Uh, the top figure there is 5%, okay? And uh, for five years, uh, it would earn 5500 10 years, 12000 15 years, 21000 And then what's the other figure back there? lost in the speaker, 
33,000. But look at here. If you get to 12%, the middle one, he would put 5,000 in. After five years, it would be worth 6,300. But look what it would be worth after 20 years, $72,000. You see that? That's quite a difference from 33000 because he, he managed to get 12%. And, of course, this is unbelievable, but look at the bottom one, 24%, is it? He, at the end of the year, he'd have $8,048, but at the end of 20 years, he would have $303,000. And, of course, at the end of 40 years, what would it be worth? You'll have to read it. I can't see it there. Two million, huh? $22,728,000. See, you wonder why some people have money and you don't, because you spend it all. Now, again, I'm not trying to make anybody wealthy here. That's not the purpose, because uh, life does not consist of the abundance of things which we possess. But I'll tell you what, it would be nice to have your bills paid and not have little little envelopes with windows in them coming all the time. Hello? And be able to give to the work of God. Come on, church. And not have it until you can pay for it in cash. Okay? All right. We got another one there. I'm not sure what we have next. Okay. All right. We don't need that one. We're not going to deal with that right now. Okay? Um, Come to the next one. I think we're going to digress. Yeah, these are the verses. We already did that. Yeah, we already did that. I may have two copies in there. We kind of put this. We didn't know if we were going to have this. Is it a sin to set money aside? Some folks say, bless God, God's people shouldn't have anything. They should. Let me tell you something. If you put something aside, you'll have a whole lot more to give. Come on, church. Than if you put nothing aside. So these were the scriptures that we dealt with. Joseph, of course, put one-fifth aside in the good years to take care of the lean years. That's our greatest example Proverbs 22.3, a prudent man foreseeth the evil, hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. You know, dumb, uh, you know, dumb Don. And I hope nobody's named Don here. But he just, oh, man, it'll all work out. I'm going to spend everything I got. I mean, I have a, an acquaintance that, that would go on construction and years ago worked on pipelines and made an unbelievable amount of money. If you saw him today, he's, he's uh, in his upper 60s. He doesn't have anything. Oh, when he, was, when he was making big money on the pipeline, he wanted to buy forever. Let's go to the restaurant. He'd pick up the check all the time. But that's not really too smart. You better put something aside, okay? Okay. Uh, uh, Proverbs 24, 3, Through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious riches. And then, of course, sitting down, Luke 14, 28, sitting down and, and counting the cost of building a tower and uh, so forth. Okay? Go ahead. And uh, here's some others, if you had, didn't get them yesterday. Proverbs 24, 27, uh, Afterwards, build thine house. Uh, Proverbs 21.5, the thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty only to want. And then the Living Bible, here it is. Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. You know what? If you if we want to use the term rich, which, uh, you know, uh, if you want to, you don't get rich quick. 
He's saying you get rich slow. In other words, you establish your finances, and by steady plotting the 10%, the 10%, the 10%, the 10%, it won't happen next week, but something's happening. There's a growing that's taking place. Okay? And so that's very important. And he talks about the ant. There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. What do you need this in the summer for? There's plenty around there because winter's coming. That's why. Go to the ant, thou slugger, consider her ways, and be wise. Isn't that something that something so small as an ant, which has a brain about the size of that? Just that amazing? You know, I often said up north, we call somebody a bird brain, but, man, they have enough sense to fly south when the snow starts coming. That's not so dumb. You folks figured that out years ago and said, I'm going to California. <laughs> All right? All right, stop there. Hope take that down because I'm going to pause there for just a moment because we're getting ready to get now into the mechanics. But I want to cover a couple of things. First of all, statistics for today that I think are very important, okay? Uh, Baron Rothschild called the rule of 72 or the power of interest the eighth wonder of the world, okay? The eighth wonder of the world. And people don't understand the power of interest. And maybe you do if, you're, if your loan's gone up on your house. Uh, it can work for you or it can work against you. I'd rather have it working for me. Hello? I really would. Now, how many have ever got an application for a new credit card? Somebody sent you one in the mail. Anybody besides me? How many are like me and get them every week? Every week. As I said last night, they're even giving them to kids that are in high school or junior high, and they don't even have a job. How are they going to pay it back? Unbelievable. Last night I told you that the average consumer debt in an American household, and this is probably a little higher, but a few years ago was over $38,000. That means they owe for a car, maybe two cars. They got credit cards. They owe Sears. They owe this. They owe that. At least 30, I mean, the average is 38,000, so some more, some less. I heard one time on the radio they were talking about this, and one lady confessed on the radio that they owed $250,000 on credit cards. <laughs> Even at 10%, which was probably a whole lot more than that, that'd be at least 25, well, it'd be more than $25,000 a year in interest. But yet, people get them every day. Unbelievable. You know what? Matches help start a fire in your fireplace, but they also start a fire that can burn up half of this city that you've been experiencing. Did you hear me? Sometimes they can be good, and sometimes they can be dangerous. Okay? Now, prescription drugs can help you when you've got a problem and you need something. But they can also destroy people. A rope, something as simple as a rope, can be used to help you when you need it for something, or it can be made into a noose and hang. And that's just about the way consumer debt and credit cards have done for so many things. People, they are dangerous. 
Now, the credit card game, and I call it exactly that, is rapidly changing and morphing into all kinds of things because, uh, you know, they've put out so many teaser rates. Have our card free interest for a month or 3.9 for a year or whatever. But a lot of times they can change that rate, or if you're one day late, one minute of one day late, they're going to jack it up. You don't read that small print. Man, that'll cause your eyes to go blurred, you know. But it's there. And they can jack that rate up from 3.9 to 13.9 or 19.9 overnight. And uh, I was telling my son today that uh, one of their tricks is they'll many times have the due date come on a Sunday. So if you send the bill on a Thursday or Friday and it doesn't get there till Monday, you're late and there's a $50 late fee on top of that. And if you're late, they can jack that rate up automatically. Well, again, they can't lend you money at 3.9% and make money when they're paying that in the, at the uh, you know, on your savings account. So where do they do it? They do it with these tricks. They do it with, uh, of course, late fees. And it's an unbelievable thing. And some of those cards, let me tell you, Sears. You know, Sears doesn't sell lawnmowers and clothes and, and uh, stuff like that. They sell credit. You go to Sears, first thing they want to know, do you have a, an account with us? Well, if you open this account, we will give you 10% off of that item. I say, no, I don't want an account, and I'm not starting one. I don't care what you give me off. Why? Because they're, in, they're not in the lawnmower business and clothing business. They're in the credit business because they charge a minimum of 21%. And can you imagine if they can get 21% on you paying for your new washer or dryer or lawnmower or whatever? Wow. They're, they could teach the mafia a few lessons. These guys are mean. I mean, they're ruthless and, and more. And ever have heard of these household finance companies? Don't even go near. Don't even walk by. If the office is there on the street that you've got to walk by, walk across the street. These are loan sharks, 24% or more. Well, why do they charge so much? Because they take people with poor credit. Why do they do that? Because they can get their money back quick at 24 to 30%. Are you hearing me? How many have ever heard of these payday loan places? Do they have them out here? If you see one, run the other way. What is that deal? Well, if you'll come, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll advance you $200 or $300 till your pay comes. And then when you get paid, come back and uh, pay us the $300 plus $25 or $30. Some of that interest they calculated has been up around 300%. And then what happens? A guy gets behind. I can't pay at all, but I can give you 200 this way. That's all right. I'll give you, we'll advance you some more. Hey, I know Pentecostal people that have been caught in this game. And you better stop that. So if there's anybody here doing that, I'm not on your case. I'm just simply saying you stop that right now because that's a vicious cycle, and uh, you don't want that to continue, okay? So these are some of the tricks that they do, and, uh, you know, if you go over the limit on your card, you know, it's only 1000 or 2000 they'll hit you with another fee. 
and uh, it goes on and on. Now, I want to tell you this. If you use a credit card versus cash or a debit card, which comes directly out of your account, but if you use a credit card that carries a balance, you will spend statistically, it's already proven, at least 23% more. Because you know what? It's not hard. Credit cards, one of the greatest things that you ever could do is say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And you will automatically, statistically, spend 23% less than you would if you used blast. Okay? Now, that's proven by, by those that are in the studies, because of the psychology of having to put out the cash versus a little old card and a piece of paper that comes at the end of the month called a bill, okay? So that's one thing that you can do. And uh, here's a rule of thumb that I would like for you to write down, and that is to never borrow for a depreciating asset. Never borrow for a depreciating asset. You say, what do you mean by that? Virtually everything you buy other than a house is a depreciating asset. People are using credit cards that they have to pay for a, a month later for a meal at the Olive Garden. Now, you talk about a depreciating asset. It's gone in five hours. And you're not going to pay for it for another month. What about this? That's a depreciating asset. You can pay $100 for a sport coat and say, well, I don't like it. I'm going to try to sell it. You're lucky if you get 10 bucks for it or 5 bucks. A week later, are you hearing me? Anything, whether it's a washer and a dryer, a, a sofa, you name it, those are called depreciating assets, and that's the trick. You pay cash for those. Say, so I don't have any cash. Well, we're going to help you with it. You hear me? The only time you should borrow money is on an appreciating asset, which is basically property or, or a house. We understand you can't write a check for that. And then there's something you need to do about that, too. That probably breaks the norm. So uh, I was in Dallas the other day and uh, saw this neat sign, and it was so neat. Dave Ramsey had it written on a huge billboard, and he does the talk shows for, for finances. He said, act your wage. And I thought, that's good. That's good. We want to live like kings when we're on a pauper salary, so to speak. And we can for a while. 
You can drive it, you can wear it, you can eat it for a while, but then the chickens come home to roost. Okay? Who are you trying to impress? Amen. If you can afford to write out a check for a new car, great. My my uh, son's, my son, my, my brother's ex-father-in-law had a very successful company in Canada, and he wanted to buy a Rolls Royce when he could. But he said, I'm not buying it till I can pay cash. <laughs> and he went into the Rolls Royce dealership with $150,000 in cash and paid for it. Well, he can afford to drive it. Now, first of all, I wouldn't want a Rolls Royce. As soon as I got it, somebody hit it anyway. <laughs> but if you can afford that and you can pay cash for it, then that's fine. But if you went in there and said, I want a Rolls Royce, and I'd like to make payments of $7,000 a month for 10 years, and how much interest, you know, hey, forget it. It's not worth it. So, act your wage, learn to live below your means. That's what I said when my wife and I got married. That's why we live with virtually no furniture for about almost a year. People would come by and they had pity on us. I didn't have any problem with it because we didn't know anybody. Do you hear me? And I even had relatives come by and said, look, they've got a sale going on down such and such place. You can buy three rooms of furniture for like nineteen ninety nine, And man, they got good terms. And I said, no. And they thought I was nuts. They really did. They said, look, you owe it to your wife. Well, she didn't seem to mind. Hey, when you're young, married, you're in love, you just look at each other and say, this is great. Pass the popcorn. <laughs> but, you know, you got to make up some mind. your mind. Who's going to run our life? Are we going to let the Joneses run it? Peer pressure run it? Come on, church. Or are we going to run it? So you've got to make up your mind. Benjamin Franklin said this about borrowing. He said, creditors have better memories than debtors. Did you hear what it said? <laughs> All right. Let's kind of, well, I want to cover something here. Uh, well, let's go ahead. Give us the next one. I'm going to take a break here in a minute because I don't want to. Here's four reasons why families experience financial difficulty. Anybody ever, don't put up your hand, but ever had financial difficulty? I'm sure we all have. There's been times, but look at number one. Number one is failure to give. Remember what I said last night? You be tight with God, he can be tight with you. Amen. Give. You've got to give because God's put it into your hand. And so that's one reason that people face financial difficulty because they don't give. And I'm not just talking about the church, but, you know, help a neighbor in need or whatever. Uh, somebody, you know, look around the church sometimes or somebody that uh, that has a situation and don't broadcast, you know what, I just gave $25 to Sister So-and-So because I heard they were in dire need. Well, this is the kind of thing you do it on the side. You hear me? And uh, whatever. Look for opportunities to help somebody. Okay? Failure to give. Now, I'm going to deal with this in a little bit, but number two is failure to provide for emergencies. Now, you heard what I said, failure to provide for emergencies. Now, what was that saying that you told us today that you read or heard? 
You're either preparing or repairing. I'd rather prepare, okay? Because you are going to have to fix things and, and emergencies, quote unquote, are going to have are going to come up. So they run into trouble when they fail to provide for an emergency, such as you've got a deductible on your car insurance and somebody hits you or you hit somebody else and the insurance company covers it, but there's a $500 deductible. Where's that going to come from? you got to prepare for that, okay? A relative dies across the country. You've got to buy a plane ticket. You can't say, look, die another year from now because I'll be ready for it. No, emergencies, okay? Number three, failure to resist credit buying. Failure to resist credit buying. And uh, <laughs> I was visiting with some folks on Sunday uh, in San Diego, Sunday night, some old friends, and she said, I, had a, I was an impulsive buyer. She said, I don't, shop, I don't like going shopping now because she used to, and she'd buy everything because she was an impulsive buyer. Some people are like that. So find out, but it's easy to do it when you're flipping the plastic down. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's a good deal, you know. It's only a good deal if you can afford it. So, number three on why a family's experience financial difficulty is failure to resist credit buying. And then this number four, and I'll let you copy. You need to copy that down. Some of you will copy it down and say, we're going to work on this, and others will say, boo. Number four, failure to set aside funds for depreciable items. That car, and I think everybody knows, is going to wear out someday. That furniture won't last forever. We had one couch. My white back, we got the couch that's in our living room right now, is 24 years old. It doesn't look that bad, does it? Maybe a little dated. What's that? <laughs> But you know what? It's finally going to give out. But we've got money for it. We've been looking, but I can't agree. We can't agree on what kind we should get. So, And clothes. Some folks say, well, I don't spend any money on clothes. Well, I don't see them walking around naked either. Where'd you get them? So there are, you know, you can get them at Goodwill or whatever, and, and, and believe me, there's not you, these uh, consignment shops. That's a great deal, and we'll talk about that. But, but whatever, you need to prepare for those things. I have a repair column in my budget for the car, and money goes in there every week whether I have to fix anything or not. And, you know, I put... I put actually $80 a month in there. 20 bucks a week goes in their car repair fund. And uh, when a car deal situation comes along, new brakes, $300, I don't have to sweat because it's there. And uh, I had to have a transmission done one time on one of the vans we had. And guess what? It was there. I didn't have to worry. That cost $900, but we had it. And then as soon as that's depleted, I just start building it up again. Okay? And why? Because people don't set aside funds for depreciable items in those situations. And so you've got to prepare for that. 
and uh, you know, and 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 that fund sometimes has been twenty dollars a week, and it's got up to around twelve hundred dollars. I thought I don't need that much in there, and I can drop it back a little bit, or maybe eliminate it for a few weeks. But you know, I keep a certain balance in there, and it's just sitting there. You say, really, really, okay. Same for clothing. Now that one's a little wild because. <laughs> You know, I mean that, but but car and even furniture, setting aside for depreciable items. So that is the reason why families experience financial difficulty. Now, um, our culture, and my son mentioned a little earlier, is ignorant of what money is and how to handle it. Now, money, and and let me say this, ignorance is not a lack of intelligence. There's a lot of people that are ignorant about money in our world today. That doesn't mean they're they're, uh, not smart. It's not a lack of intelligence, but it's a lack of knowledge. Now, how many of you would like for me to operate on your brain? You would. You know why? It's not because I'm ignorant, but it's because I lack the knowledge and training to be a brain surgeon. If I went to school when I was younger, maybe I could and probably could have learned it. But, uh, Brother Sanchez, you don't want me operating on your brain because I am ignorant of brain surgery. You don't even want me working on your car. Because I'm ignorant of it. I don't know that. But that doesn't mean I don't have intelligence. And the reason that so many people have financial troubles today, people that are learned, people that are educated, people that are skilled in certain things are ignorant about money. I told you about doctors and lawyers making two, three, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 a year and going bankrupt, not because they're dumb, they're intelligent, but they are ignorant of how money works. Okay? And so this is very, very important, and that's why you're here. So, it's not a lack of intelligence, but it is a lack of knowledge. Okay? And I I think we referred to it a little earlier. We learned about a lot of things in school. You know what? I studied a bunch of Shakespeare plays, and nobody's ever asked me about Macbeth since then. Henry King Henry the Fourth, and some of those soliloquies that we memorized, I really haven't had a chance to use them yet. But I wish somebody would have told me about the Rule of Seventy-Two when I was seventeen. I wish somebody would have told me about ten percent when I was eighteen. I wish somebody would have given me a little bit of insight into that. That would have been a tremendous help. I wish somebody would have told me about car leases, card interest rate, a lot of other things. So, write this down. Here's the problem people have in finances. Number one is knowledge. They just don't under they they haven't been taught about something. Knowledge and number two is very simple. Discipline. Discipline. Okay? 
discipline. And this is not hard. But we can make it hard. But if you will get educated about money, you don't, and we're not talking about, you know, uh, uh, Harvard School of Business, not being a CPA, but we're simply knowing the, and, then, and I'm none of those. So we're just simply telling you that there's some simple principles you can learn about finances that will help you and will put you in a position where you will be comfortable and not in an uncomfortable situation. My son knows about a couple in the church in Jackson. And, uh, uh, well, I'll just mention his name, Tillman. They've never made money. I think he said he made $17,000 one year. They own their own home. They pay cash for their vehicles. Now, of course, their home is not as expensive as here, obviously. They've never made money, and he's got a brother-in-law that's made four times that, and he never has money. Now, how do you explain that? It's not the amount of money. It's what you do with what you have. Okay? So if you learn the principles that I'm going to give you, then and I'm giving you now, then you're going to be put down the road tremendous uh, way helping turn it around. It's never too late. All right, let's stand for a little bit, stretch a little bit. Turn to your neighbor and say, I know what the rule of 72 is. In fact, why don't you explain it to them? 